Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of October 9, 2022. The Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, Savvy, will hold its regular monthly meeting on Tuesday, October 11, from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church, 1215 Sherm Road in Owensboro. The program will be a review of the White Cane, its uses and history. For more information, contact Cheryl Lott at 1-270-686-8689. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its social hour meeting this coming Wednesday, October 12, from... 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 to 3 Central, on the Zoom line. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter their meeting code 763-689-4411. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting, this is rescheduled from September, on Friday, October 14, from 7 to 9 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. The number is 669-900-6833, and the code is 862-9889-6972. GLCB will also hold a bingo next Friday, October 21. This will be an in-person and virtual event. Watch the KCB events list for the schedule. Everyone is invited to the ACB Families Program this month on Sunday, October 16. The call is at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 Pacific, and 3 Hawaiian. It's on the Zoom line at 669-900-6833. The code is 862-9889-6972. The program this month will be presented by Laura Legendary from Elegant Insights Creations. Laura will be talking about her Let's Go Shopping event coming up in November, and also she'll be telling us about the wonderful Braille jewelry that she makes as part of her Elegant Insights creations. Don't miss this family's call as it kicks off the shopping season for the holidays. On page two this week, we bring you information about the new legislation on Website and Software Applications Accessibility. ACB has issued a call to action concerning this legislation and following the reading of the information, you will hear an interview with Swatha Nandakumar, who works in the ACB National Office on Advocacy Issues. Then, on page 3, we have an interview with Denise Colley, who is the newly elected president of the Braille Revival League, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Denise is also secretary of the American Council of the Blind. Learn about the work of the Braille Revival League and her goals for the coming year in her new administration as president. On page 4, we bring you an article entitled The History of the Perkins Brailler. This article appeared in the BRL Memorandum, for this fall and winter. The memorandum is the publication of the Braille Revival League and we bring you the article for two reasons. One, 
so you can learn more about the background that led up to and the creation of the Perkins Sprayler and two, so that you can find out more about this great publication that's available from BRL. We hope that you enjoy these three pages and that you will call us or email us with suggestions for future SoundPrints programs. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. The American Council of the Blind posted the following call to action concerning the Website and Software Applications Accessibility Act on October 5. This post was by Swatha Nandakumar. On September 28, 2022, Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat of Illinois, and Representative John P. Sarbanes, Democrat of Maryland, introduced the Website and Software Applications Accessibility Act, S-4998 and H.R. 9021, in both the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives. This bill, which was a joint collaboration between both offices and the American Council of the Blind, ACB, American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, National Disability Rights Network, NDRN, and National Federation of the Blind, NFB, would require the Department of Justice and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to establish clear and enforceable accessibility standards for websites and mobile applications, reaffirm that existing disability rights legislation covers websites and software applications, and ensure that accessibility standards keep pace with new and emerging technology. The Department of Justice has long held that the Americans with Disabilities Act does cover websites and the digital built environment, but courts across the country have ruled inconsistently on how and when the ADA applies to the digital built environment. This bill builds on the ADA's foundation and strengthens accessibility requirements for employers, state and local governments, and third-party vendors. Once passed, this bill would define accessibility as a website or application that enables individuals with disabilities to access the same information as, to engage in the interactions as, to communicate and to be understood as effectively as, and to enjoy the same services offered to other individuals with the same privacy, independence, and ease of use as individuals without disabilities. For example, blind and low vision people often use screen reader technology that reads the content of websites and applications aloud or displays it on a compatible Braille device. People who are deaf and hard of hearing utilize closed captioning and remote video interpreters. People with physical disabilities, such as limited manual dexterity, may require websites that have full keyboard navigation. And people with communication and speech-related disabilities may encounter barriers if a website uses voice interaction 
or provides phone numbers as the only method to communicate with the business. The Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act is a legislative imperative for the American Council of the Blind. ACB encourages all our affiliates, members, and friends to contact their representatives and both of their senators to urge them to co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act, H.R. 9021, in the House of Representatives and S-4998 in the Senate. For additional background, please read the joint press release issued by ACB, AFB, NDRN, and NFB. Available at www.acb.org slash senator dash duckworth dash and dash representative dash sarbanes s-a-r-b-a-n-e-s dash introduce dash bill dash two dash make dash web dash applications dash accessible and read the press release from senator duckworth which includes links to the bill text and background information available at www.duckworth.senate.gov slash news slash press dash release slash duckworth dash sarbanes dash introduce dash bicameral b-i-c-a-m-e-r-a-l dash legislation dash to dash help dash make dash websites dash and dash software dash applications dash accessible dash for dash americans dash with dash disabilities to find your representative visit https colon slash slash www.house.gov and search using your five digit zip code to find your senator Visit https colon slash slash www.senate.gov. When writing to your member of Congress, you might say something to the effect of Hello, my name is first and last name, and I live in city, state, and zip code. If you are an officer of a state or special interest affiliate, please include that as well. I am contacting you today as a member of, insert your state affiliate name, and on behalf of all people who are blind and low vision in, insert your state. I urge representative slash senator, put their last name, to co-sponsor the Website and Software Applications Accessibility Act, S4998 slash HR9021. Introduced by Senator Duckworth slash Representative Sarbanes. That would ensure websites, mobile applications, and online services are accessible for people with disabilities. As someone who is blind slash low vision, I encounter numerous accessibility barriers on websites, mobile applications, and online services. Note. Please share one or two specific examples 
of inaccessible websites, mobile applications, and online services that you have attempted to use. 4. Education, employment, online shopping, entertainment, transportation, health care, financial services, and or government services. Equal access to websites, mobile applications, and online services is critical to ensure people who are blind or who have low vision may live active, engaged lives as independent members of our communities. Please help us ensure that people who are blind or people with disabilities have accessible access to the virtual built environment as is required for the physical built environment. For these reasons, please co-sponsor the Websites and Software Applications Accessibility Act. Please let Clark and Swatha know once you've contacted your member of Congress at either advocacy at acb.org or 202-467-5081 so that we may follow up. Thank you and keep advocating. Swatha Nandakumar Swatha is the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist at the American Council of the Blind. And now we hear from Swatha concerning this legislation. So welcome, Swatha. We're real pleased to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Carla. Swatha, tell us about this piece of legislation and uh, what will happen to it that that this is, you know, it's pretty late in the congressional um, cycle, but uh, why is this important that it, it be introduced now, and what will it do? So this bill, um, I'll, I'll, I'll spend the, the why first. Um, so the Department of Justice has long held that the ADA, Disabilities Act, um that it covers websites and applications and that um it just it requires them because because it's accessible just like the just like the um outside environment. So but courts have across the country have ruled inconsistently on this issue and um some courts have said that the ADA applies to all websites, some said none, others have said like only if you have a physical a physical building with the, the, the houses that's a site, or like that, um, houses of business and it connects, and connects to a site. And so, um, with, with the fact that the courts misinterpreted the ADA, and because, um, we don't have the like, clear legislation that defines that ability of what's it, of what's applications, um, this bill essentially makes that, um, requires that. So, if this bill passes, it would clarify the requirements surrounding the web accessibility. Yeah, so it, it, it will reaffirm the ADA's um, application to a site and software and software apps. So it would be sure that it would, it would just kind of it would it would be sure that everyone, that every business and um, court court country knows that. The, the ADA applies here, and you need to bring your business up to up to snuff. So, every Congress is two years, mm-hmm. and 
we're in the second year of this Congress. So this Congress will end then at the end of this year, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so what happens to this bill? It will get reintroduced re- 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 next next year. So we are right now. Right now, we're, we're building. Right now, our goal is to build the build support in the Senate and House to have this bill come out strong next next Congress. Next Congress, and to raise and to raise issue to raise profile profile of the of the issue of accessibility. So. It's good, it's good for awareness and for um, support, support really, is a goal now, so. Okay. So the idea then is that by getting this introduced now, both in the House and in the Senate, that this um, increases the chance of it being more visible in the new Congress? Yeah. So hopefully then... Um, we can we can get it passed or get it um you know, keep it on the radar on the radar of our senators and representatives. So yeah, that's our goal for now. Before can those of us out here that support this bill, what can we do to help? Absolutely. So ACB has put out action action alert um on the bill for our members friends and friends and friends and members to contact their center a day both of them or all three actually both centers both centers and our representatives to um urge them to go co sponsor the bill and so hope hope our hope now is that we can get enough co sponsors that it has those that it can retain those for next year. So if we if we get a sponsor function on the bill now, then there's a good chance that it'll get rid of the bill next next time. So and so we encourage our members and friends to contact us, contact the members of Congress and tell them to, to go sponsor go sponsor bill. So okay, and um, how many is there a set number of sponsors or co-sponsors that we need? We get as many as we, as we, we'll take as many as many as, as many as we can get. Ideally, we want a lot because we want there there are a lot of senators there are a lot of senators and lots of representatives 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 in that in the House and Senate. So ideally, we'd like them the a good majority or a good number to co-sponsor. So the more the better. So okay, and also. Um, I think the the person uh, Tammy Duckworth, of course, in, is um, a Democrat, and John. How do you say his last name? Is it Sarbanes? Sarbanes. Sarbanes. Okay, he's also a Democrat. We do we need some bipartisan support for this? Yes, bipartisan support. That's the that is the key indicator that this bill is viable. If we have support, if we have support in both both parties. Then this bill is going to fly and. It'll be great video. So um, we do have encourage um, members to contact contact folks to um, reach reach across the, across the aisle and prove and show this this issue is not just one party issue. It's not just one cohort that's um, 
had the attention of, of, of many artists and as many days as, as possible. So I think that um, a lot of us are real, really supportive of this. Um, hopefully, there will be some bipartisan support and help this bill to move. Yeah, I saw a couple of posts on the list that said, well, it's so late, you know, in the Congress that we're almost wasting our time. But it sounds like we are not because it sounds like this will help us to get a head start with the new Congress when, when the new Congress convenes in January. Yep, absolutely. And um, if the House flips, it's still going to be um, a very prominent issue, and we're still going to get a lot of support. So even Congress, if Congress changes, the issue still still remains. So we want to um, have as many people on both sides of the aisle, both R's and D's, as many as we can on this bill and having our issues, our issues here. I just want to add to contact your contact um, the member of Congress for 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 House the House it's um House.gov and for Senate it's it's Senate.gov and um if you want to call in the office and just get issues that way you can also um call two zero two 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 four three one two one and it'll just connect you to your senator's office. Can you use that same phone number for the House or the Senate? Yes, you can do both. Okay, so that puts you into the um, into the Capitol Hill switchboard, right? Yeah, the operator, and then you tell the operator, I'm not sure how it works, but you tell them, um, they'll connect you, connect you to the office that you want. So. Okay, all right. Well, Swatha, we really appreciate you taking time on a Friday afternoon to talk with us. I know that you have, y'all have a lot of issues. You and Clark have a lot of things that you're working on. And we really appreciate your time and hope to have a lot of things happening with this bill. So thank you very much. Thank you, Carla. Of course. Thank you. Page three. My next guest on SoundPrints is Denise Colley. Denise is secretary of ACB and is just starting her third term as secretary, um, and but she's also the president of the Braille Revival League, the new president of BRL, an affiliate of ACB, and that's actually what she's here to talk about today. But Denise, before we get into that, uh, I would just want to, to acknowledge your absolutely tremendous, um, I could call it a performance, work, whatever. The way you handled the roll call uh, on the uh, vote on the resolutions and constitution and bylaw amendments at the end of the ACB convention this last summer was absolutely amazing. It was it was outstanding. I just knew that was going to be a mess when we had seven things to vote on, and each affiliate is supposed to vote on them all in order, lined up, I thought, there's no way this is going to come off. And you did it like clockwork. It was absolutely tremendous. Just Thank wanted you, to Carla. I appreciate that. that. I, I was a little nervous, too, about how all of that was going to work. But um, I, you know, tried to give the delegates 
as much information ahead of time as I could about how the process was going to run. And yeah, kudos to all of them because they were there, they were ready. Uh, we didn't have any people going, can you hear me now? And all of the stuff that we had last year. So yeah, yeah. it was, it was yeah. very awesome. Yes. So anyway, well, let's talk about BRL. Denise is uh, from Richmond, Texas now, mm-hmm. and this is her first term as president of BRL. Paul Edwards has been the president for the past several years, and now has passed the reins on to Denise. Denise, tell us a little bit about BRL and where you hope the affiliate will be going, and um, just introduce people who maybe don't know about BRL to what it does. Well, BRL, or the Braille Revival League, has been in existence for over 40 years. Um, And it really um, was started to to help to promote the production of Braille, the teaching and use of Braille, as what should be the primary medium of literacy for blind children who are blind. And... um, how it can be used, you know, in a practical way. And so we've really tried to, you know, focus on those issues. Um, We are really concerned about uh, how Braille is and continues to be a dying art uh, with the advent of everything now that you can do digitally and um, using, uh, you know, speech and doing audible kinds of things. Um, no, people aren't using Braille as much anymore. And I have always maintained that if you do not know Braille and you only have access to things audibly, that in effect you are illiterate. We um, are very passionate, and I am very passionate about Braille and the need to know Braille. Even if All you know Braille for is the basics, to be able to put a label on uh, a food item or a CD or whatever you're wanting to label so that you know what it is, Um, writing down a phone number, um, those kinds of things. Really, you need to have those things in writing. And so uh, that's that's the thing that I am probably the most passionate about with Braille. Um, I know for me, I am um, an avid Braille reader. I've been reading Braille since I was in first grade, and that was a long time ago. And um, and and I, um, you know, first of all, love to just read using Braille. Now, if if I'm just reading to, um, you know, be able to to enjoy a book or whatever, then I will use it on, you know, on cassette or CD or, on you know, digitally or however I can get the book. But if I am reading to really become, to learn something about the topics that I'm reading about or if I'm going to be doing a presentation or whatever, then that's, for me, that's where Braille really needs to come in. In terms of um, what I hope for BRL in the next couple of years is um, I'm hoping that... Um, First of all, we will be able to bring more people into the affiliate. I really want to see us move forward in terms of how we are promoting Braille. For me, one of the big 
passions I have is the Braille Challenge um, programs throughout the country. If you have not been able to participate in a Braille Challenge that is done with um, school-age children across the country, it is an amazing experience. So I would really like to see us more better promote the Braille Challenges in our states, those states that have them. Um, I'd like to encourage people to go and get involved in the Braille Challenge, be a proctor, be a scorer, you know, whatever you can do. Uh, help your affiliate to maybe help co-sponsor a Braille Challenge in your city or in your state um, because it is an amazing experience. I'd like to see us find ways of encouraging VI teachers to visually, teachers of the visually impaired to better promote Braille uh, in the classroom. One of the other things that I'm really excited about is our bi-monthly call that we have. We call it the Braille Buzz. It meets on the third Wednesday of every even month, and um, we bring in presenters to present on all different topics. Our next presenter is going to be Brian McDonald from National Braille Press to talk about what's going on at NBP and what are they doing and do they have any new um, wonderful pieces of equipment that are coming out for Braille users. I could see us getting involved in working more closely with our Braille libraries to promote activities that will promote Braille. We have um, one of the resolutions that was passed at convention was a resolution that BRL would work closely with ACB to um, really look at what are the best ways to create a climate or an expectation that Braille labels will be on um, products produced and manufactured in the country and that it would be a requirement. So those are kind of, you know, just off the top of my head some of the things that I'd like to see us do in the next year or so. Denise, the Talking Book Libraries, NLS program, are moving in the direction of distributing the e-readers. And how do you feel about the e-readers? I think that is just an absolutely exciting project. I remember that um, several years ago I attended a Braille, kind of like a forum that was held in Boston and it was put on by the National Library Service, and we were talking about Braille and the uses of Braille and what the library could be doing more for Braille. And this conversation came up there initially, that we needed to find a way to provide to Braille readers a device that would allow them to either receive books in Braille formatted on cartridge or would allow them to be able to download books directly from BARD or Kindle or uh, whatever other reader, you know, reading um, thing that you use and that it be a machine that would be affordable, um, that it wouldn't be something that's going to cost somebody five or six thousand dollars. Um, if you can carry Braille with you and you can have and if you remember, you know, in Braille, if you're going to carry Braille around, you have all these volumes, and they're big, and they take up space. <laughs> well, this way, yeah. you can take a cartridge, or you can download onto a Braille device, and you can have, you know, 100 books there with you when you're 
on the plane or on the train or waiting in the doctor's office or whatever that you can use to braille, read braille, and all you have to do is carry around your device. And so, um, yes, NLS is doing a pilot project, and there are two machines out that are being um, tested, one from HumanWare and the other one is called Zumax. If you're not one of the pilot states, let me tell you, I was when I was in Washington, and it was amazing. We get to try to work out all the bugs. Certainly one device works better than than the other, but um, we, we are really trying to provide NLS with feedback because it is their intention to be able to provide these devices to all Braille readers who are patrons of NLS in the future. And I think it really is going to revolutionize the ability to use Braille and to, you know, move Braille forward. Kentucky participated in the HumanWare project, and our Talking Book Library tells us that their Braille readership increased once they started yes. making those available. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that has tremendous implications for the use of Braille. I, I think it says to us that in part, the, quote, decline of Braille is because it's so big and cumbersome and you can't carry it around and all that stuff. And if it is more portable, then perhaps some of that decline will instead become an uptick. And mm-hmm. at least that's what they're telling us they've seen is that you know, the, the readership has increased as far as Braille is concerned, which to me is exciting. It is, and I've heard that from um, several states. I was just really excited to get to be a part of the pilot project. I'm glad our state got to be one of the first ones. <clears throat> we got the Zumax devices, and while I wish we'd gotten the humanware ones because I heard better <laughs> things about the humanware ones. Get, right? <laughs> yeah, you take what you can get. Um, you know, to, to be able to sit down and, and download a book and have the Braille right there, ready to read, to me, I mean, it's always been exciting to me since the beginning of BARD, whether I was reading a book audibly or reading it using Braille, I could get my book right away and I didn't have to wait for it to be mailed to me, was just, for me, revolutionary. And I think you are going to definitely see increases in the uses of Braille, you know, as a result of knowing that you don't have to carry around these big books, that you can have all these things on a cartridge, on your machine, or downloaded into your machine, just as you do the your audio books, and that you know Braille's going to be right there. We're going to continue promoting that because we think it's been a very exciting and a very successful project up to this point. Denise, the Braille Revival League puts out a really nice magazine twice a year called the BRL Memorandum, mm-hmm. and uh, BRL is a neat. Um, abbreviation for the Braille Revival League because BRL means Braille and uh, it's one of the one of the signs and and, uh, so that's pretty cool but um, on page four right after this interview uh, people will be able to hear an article from the most recent BRL memorandum about the history of the Perkins Braillers so we hope everybody will listen to that If, if you enjoy good articles about Braille and so on. If you listen to the Perkins article, the Brailler article coming up and you enjoy that, 
you might want to to become a member of BRL because that magazine in itself is worth the $10 a year. It's an excellent magazine that goes to members. That's one thing that BRL does. The other thing is the Braille Revival League has programming at the ACB National Convention. And uh, can you just give us a quick overview of the events or at least some of the events that BRL did at the 2022 convention? Every year at convention, we have our Braille breakfast, BRL breakfast, and then everybody is welcome. Uh, and we usually have whoever our international speaker for the convention is come and talk to us about what is happening with Braille in their particular country. And it's absolutely fascinating to hear what's happening in various countries. This year, we had a speaker who talked about the history of Braille from, you know, even from the time of of Lewis Braille and, um, you know, the whole history of Braille, which was extremely interesting. And then, of course, every year we have to have our Games with Ralph, one of our members. Ralph, he comes up with these, um, defin- these definitions, and you have to try to then look at the, the, the choices you have in your, in your um, selection of Braille letters to be able to um, find the answers to these things. And... They're not easy. Let me tell you, you'd think it would be so easy, but they're not. And he's actually just put out book number five of his puzzle books. So um, you can purchase those from Braille Revival League. I'm always open to ideas. So if somebody has some great idea of a topic they'd like us to address, please let us know because we're always looking for topics related to Braille that are going to be interesting for people to, you know, to come and listen to and participate in. Right. Um, Denise, can you tell tell us how, if someone wants to join BRL, how they can go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, Jane Corona is our treasurer. You can uh, send her an email. You can join by check. You can join using PayPal. You can call her to, to give her your credit card information. As I said, our dues are $10 a year. Um, we also have six uh, affiliates. So if um, you're in one of these affiliates, you might want to join through them. Um, we have one in Pennsylvania, which is the Jenny Beck one, one in Texas, one in Florida, one in California, one in Illinois, and one in New, our brand new one in New York. And I know we have a couple of other states who are right on the verge of forming um, Braille Revival League affiliates. So um, you can... Um, you, you can certainly join one of them if you're in one of those states, and then you pay your dues through them just as you do your affiliate. And, um, yeah, we, we're very, very excited to have, to have people join. Okay. Could you um, share Jane's number with us, and then people could call her and get additional information? Jane Corona. Um, you can contact her at area code 301 598 If you want to contact me directly, you can contact me at area code 360-280-0077, and I would be happy to get to speak to you and get to know you. Well, Denise, thank you so much for being with us on SoundFriends, and as I said, the next page will contain the article on the history of the Perkins Brailler from the BRL Memorandum, and we hope everyone enjoys that. And we also hope that many of you will 
contact Jane or Denise and become part of the Braille Revival League. Thank you, Denise, and congratulations on being the new president. Thank you. Thank you very much. Page four. The history of the Perkins Brailler. This is an article from the BRL Memorandum, volume 51, fall winter 2022, number two. It's published by the Braille Revival League, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. This article was submitted by May Davis. The Perkins Brailler, viewed by many as the premier mechanical Braille writer in the world, was first produced in 1951. The quality and reliability of the Perkins Brailler has kept it in demand and production, with only minimal improvements over the decades. Its success lies in two foundations, the remarkable precision of its design and production and the bold financial commitment of its producers. The leadership and trustees of Hal Press and its parent organization, Perkins School for the Blind, understood the need for the new brailler and supported it unfalteringly through 15 years of design, preparation, and expenditures that committed more than half of the capital of Howe Press. A Brief History of Braille Writers Invented by Louis Braille in the 1820s, Braille is a tactile writing system of raised dots. It was a breakthrough for people who are blind because, unlike earlier embossed letter reading systems, Braille could be used to both read and write. It is read quickly with the fingers, but writing Braille manually with a slate and stylus, the device used by Louis Braille, is very slow. As Braille and New York Point, another raised dot writing system, became prevalent in the last half of the 19th century, attempts were made to invent machines to speed up the writing process. However, none of these brailers were sturdy or economical enough to find popular usage. It wasn't until 1892 that Mr. Frank Hall, superintendent of the Illinois School for the Blind, invented a brailer that was first to find general acceptance. Many of the earlier designs held the paper flat in a frame, with embossing heads that moved over the surface of the paper. Others punched rolls of paper tape, which were awkward to work with and store. Hall's invention was shaped like a typewriter, with a six-dot keyboard mounted conveniently on the front. Each of the six keys corresponds to one of the dots in the Braille cell. The machine also had a roll-up carriage that accommodated 11-inch wide paper. This model was popular well into the 20th century. In the first decades of the 20th century, Perkins School for the Blind designed and manufactured several models of Braille writers. They were similar to the Hall in that they had typewriter-style keyboards and moving carriages. However, these had some drawbacks. Because the machines were individually made, the tolerances were not very accurate. They required frequent repair. The cast iron frames broke easily if dropped, and they were noisy and expensive. 
1931, Perkins School for the Blind welcomed Dr. Gabriel Farrell as its new director. Dissatisfied with the indifferent quality of the Perkins machines, Dr. Farrell ordered the Hal Press to cease production of its Braille writers. However, he remained determined that Perkins would someday design and produce an excellent machine. In the absence of a skilled person to design it, this remained an unreachable goal for several years. The Beginning of the Perkins Brailler David Abraham was a native of Liverpool, England, who had been a member of the Royal Flying Corps during World War I. While working in his family's chair rail manufacturing business, he had designed and built machines for turning the wooden rods more effectively than ever before. Soon after he brought his family to the United States, the Great Depression started. Although he was a highly skilled craftsman, he was forced to take whatever employment he could find. In the late 1930s, he was working on the road crew on Charles River Road, which runs between Perkins and the river. He had noticed the Perkins School sign near the road, and one day he came in, asked for and received employment as an instructor. He served as a teacher in the manual training department, and in the summers worked in the maintenance department. His skill and ingenuity as a carpenter and machinist caught the attention of his supervisor, Nelson Kuhn, who suggested to Director Farrell that he might be the ideal person to design a new brailer. Mr. Abraham agreed to take on the formidable task. The requirements for the design were detailed in consultations with Dr. Edward Waterhouse, assistant manager of the Howe Press. Working during his spare time, David Abraham spent countless hours in his basement workshop testing design ideas. In 1941, after several years of solitary labor, he finally presented the prototype to Perkins. Ingeniously and scrupulously designed, it is essentially identical with the Perkins Brailler in production more than 70 years later. What's so special about the Perkins Brailler? Mr. Abraham and Dr. Waterhouse had created a list of specifications that would make the Perkins Brailler the best machine available. Mr. Abraham managed to incorporate all of the features, plus a few more, into his design. The Perkins Brailler is easy to use. The touch is so light that very young people and those with little strength can use it without strain. The machine is tough and hard to break and much quieter than other brailers available at the time. Paper can be quickly and easily inserted and the spacing mechanisms are swift and simple to operate. When the operator reaches the bottom of the page, the mechanism prevents the paper from falling out. It is so accurate in its spacing that previously embossed paper 
can be reinserted and a single dot added to a specific cell without damaging existing work. The brailler has no projecting characters or parts because the embossing head is inside the case and moves across the paper. These features made the Perkins brailler reliable and easy to use and it remains unsurpassed to this day. Manufacturing the Perkins brailler Everyone at Perkins was delighted with Mr. Abraham's model. Unfortunately, plans to produce it had to be postponed because manufacturing materials and production were devoted to the war effort. As soon as World War II ended, the Perkins School for the Blind trustees agreed to subsidize the manufacture of 1,000 brailers. However, preparing for production was a daunting process, and it would be five years before the first brailer was finally available to the public. The Howe Press, including the machine shop that would manufacture the brailers, was situated in cramped and inadequate quarters in South Boston, miles from the main site in Watertown. The first order of business was relocating the workshop to the Perkins campus. It took a while to prepare the new workplace, close down the old workshop, and get everything set up in Watertown. Designing the brailer to be simple to operate meant that it was complicated to construct. Mr. Abraham often said proudly that the brailer has more precision parts than a wristwatch. Tooling up with the exactitude demanded in the production of these machines added years to the preparation process. Additionally, manufacturing materials were still hard to obtain in the post-war years. Further slowing the process was Mr. Abraham's perfectionism. He insisted in experimenting with various ways of manufacturing and assembling the parts, not satisfied until he was certain he had hit upon the best method and materials. This careful groundwork and attention to detail created the foundation of the Perkins Sprayler's long-term success. The quality of material, exactitude of design, and precision in manufacture are what makes the Perkins Sprayler so sturdy and reliable in its performance. When the trustees of the Perkins School had authorized the manufacture and sale of 1,000 brailers, there was absolutely no guarantee that there would be a market for the machines. It was the task of Dr. Waterhouse, now manager of Howe Press, to promote the brailer. Between 1946 and 1950, he traveled to conferences all over the country to display the prototype, mostly to teachers and students. The model was enthusiastically received by those who experimented with it. When production began, there were already 1,500 orders for the new machine. However, this was still a very perilous financial decision, according to Dr. Waterhouse, for there were at least three risks we had to run. The first involved cost. Until we made some machines, we could not be certain of our price estimates. The brailer might be so expensive that it wouldn't sell. Second, there is always a difference between 
quantity-produced articles and a so-called handmade prototype. The finished models might be inferior in operation and not give satisfaction. Third, a new model might reach the market, which would be better than ours and put us out of business. By the time the first railers were ready for sale, Howe Press had spent over half of its capital endowment. However, the trustees' risky investment was a sound one. From the day the new brailer became available, the press was unable to manufacture them fast enough to satisfy the demand. The Perkins Brailer in the 21st Century These days, anyone who has access to a computer can use special software and a braille printer to produce braille very quickly. Electronic braille note-takers are extremely light and portable. Why is there still a demand for these mechanical devices? The answer lies in their ruggedness, reliability, and simplicity of operation. Most people who are blind in the United States have a Perkins Brailler in their home for basic messages and note-taking. Few would ever give it up and use it in conjunction with more modern technology. There is nothing more tough and dependable in a school environment, and the brailler has found a place in classrooms throughout the world. Many developing countries struggle to provide education for their children. Children who are blind find that resources and skilled teachers for their education are even more scarce. As a result, these children are often left uneducated and illiterate, becoming adults unable to find employment or to contribute to support their families. In such cases, brailers are a powerful tool in gaining literacy and education for people who are blind. They are particularly useful in places without a reliable source of electricity. Perkins, in partnership with the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation, is committed to fighting illiteracy by donating brailers to schools with limited financial means. Access to the brailer enables the children to both read and write braille, entering the workforce fully literate and independent. The Perkins Brailler contributes in another way to the independence of people with disabilities in developing countries. Assembling the brailers is a source of livelihood for many people in India, Brazil, and South Africa. Not only are the brailers useful as finished products, available at lower cost because they are assembled locally, but their assembly provides jobs for people who would otherwise struggle to find a livelihood. From its beginnings in David Abraham's basement workshop in Watertown, Massachusetts, the Perkins Brailler has attained a worldwide reputation for its quality and reliability. More than 70 years after the machine was first produced, the Perkins Brailler continues to play a part in bringing education, literacy, and independence to people throughout the world. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.